Hello, friends. It's the funniest thing. The idea or the title for this show came to me when I was showering this morning. And then I was wondering, was that me or a spirit guide? This is something I, I constantly question <laughs> these days. And I still am not even totally sure that I have a spirit guide. Which brings me to the topic of uncertainty about spirituality and uh, deeper philosophical underpinnings, words that people throw around, what are the arguments that they're making or implying when they do lip surface to the common expressions of spiritual communities. It's time that I turn a more critical eye towards spirituality, giving life to the title of this show. After all, it isn't precisely philosophical to ramble on about personal experience, nor to present historical or conceptual overviews as much as they lend themselves. And while in fairness, I may have a philosophical spirit in my explorations, I also like to delve deeper. After all, I was a philosophy student. Um, so let's look at some of the expressions and arguments made commonly by the more vocal spiritual folks, the ones that may put people off to spirituality, yet are rarely examined. People are drawn to spiritual practices for various reasons, of course. Um, an interesting fact I found out about a year ago is that psychopaths tend to have strong spiritual leanings. They tend to be more on the mystical side than prone to um, spiritual, um, religious, orthodoxy, or communities. Um, I also noticed that among the sort of new agey crowd or contemporary spiritual people, there are a lot of these people who seem a little sociopathic, but they call themselves empaths or say they are spiritually gifted. And there's a strong undercurrent in a lot of religious and spiritual stuff where uh, there's a, there's someone who wants to control. It's a, there can be a lot of control to all of this. There can be a cult-like aura surrounding uh, with various terms thrown around as if they are accepted by all naturally. Uh, and this can create social pressure and control. Freaks like myself don't have a bone in the fight. Um, I'm always finding myself in a non-extreme position, often agnostic about something, like I'm undecided until I have more evidence. I lean toward the rational side, maybe, um, but I'm, I've, I've always been interested or willing to consider other things. So the extremists on both sides often take issue with me, as well as more moderate people who have simply swallowed a bit of prosaic nonsense someone handed them about a niche topic. Um, and then... You know, I also find that most books on spirituality are poorly written and conceived. Um, even the classics people refer to often. I think they're sort of just repeating the same idea over and over again throughout the book. They're not really giving you much uh, meat on the bone there. And, and I often suspect that they are writing books just to make money, I, as many people must suspect. To play devil's advocate, I think that the more right-brained people often gravitate towards spirituality and they don't always like formulate concepts really well or like express themselves well in writing even if some of them are very bright and that's not to say that there aren't like more left brain types left brain quote-unquote I, I don't necessarily like these terms the way that they put people in boxes but um 
there are those other other types, like even famous thinkers and scientists who have been really mystical or scientific. I mean, I could, I'm considering actually doing another episode on that. Just all, all the great thinkers who we, I know, I realize the term great thinkers is problematic. Like that deserves its own sort of um, show or book, right? But I'm not going to go off into, onto that tangent. But in any case, like there have been a ton of people of all walks of life who have been spiritual or had some sort of spiritual thoughts. But yes, it tends to be the case that these people in these contemporary spiritual communities that are sort of new agey feeling, they kind of have this these soft thinking skills and they say things that sound kind of um, unfounded, but they expect people in their community to accept this. And people often just in the communities just kind of pass around this way of thinking and talking like in a meme-like fashion. So we have all of these people saying these artificial or unexamined things without, um, without anyone questioning them a lot of the time. I mean, there are a lot of people who will dismiss so-called new agers, like anyone to them is a new ager who is spiritual, but not belonging to like some Orthodox religious group. And they will just dismiss them offhand without explaining why, without countering their arguments. Or, or the thing, I don't know how many of them make real arguments, solid arguments, but the, the things that they're implying, the statements they make. Um, and I thought it would be really helpful to, instead of just kind of leading people down this primrose kind of path um, of my own spiritual exploration and possibilities to, to present some of the problems and things to look out for when thinking about it all. And yes, I am recording this while reading some of my notes, while thinking. I don't have a lot of time or energy for editing, so I'm sorry if it comes across as choppy or sometimes disconnected. <sighs> okay. So, onto the logical fallacies. Many of us have knowledge of the logical fallacies involved in like Christianity, particularly as it pertains to theism or God. There, like a lot of early philosophy would found itself on ideas about God. There is a God, therefore this. Like in Descartes' argument um, about the demon and then, you know, there's a God, so blah, blah, blah. And there's the clockmaker's argument that many have heard of um, being that the world is finely and intricately made like a clock. And so therefore there must be a creator behind it. And, you know, I, I actually think that that's an interesting argument. There's something there that I think is compelling and worthwhile to think about. But obviously we can't assume that just because we see this intricate, astonishing universe that there is a creator behind it. So I am going to be looking more at what is in the new spirituality, the kind of things that they assert and say. I do try to avoid the term new age just because... It is so taboo for a lot of people, um, and a lot of people just don't claim that they are New Age, even if they've absorbed some of that uh, generation of, of thought. And there is all sorts of nonsense spread ac across all sorts of spirituality nowadays. And there, there is just this general idea that everything is true. You have to respect everyone's truth um, and not enough critical thinking going on. Now, I am a, I was a philosophy student for a long time, ridiculously long time, because I, I really should have graduated in a couple of years from that program, but um, I think it was probably that I just love the philosophy too much. Um, 
long story. Anyway, I don't remember all of the, the fallacies off of the top of my head and new ones are being created pretty regularly. So I used a logical fallacy master list. Um, I can provide that link if anyone wants it. But I, yeah, I just looked, I pulled up a really long one on the internet and just went through it to see what's, what seems like it applied to some of the things that I've heard tossed around that kind of get under my skin. So first I'm going to start with the, uh, the references to the age of Aquarius or Ascension. People will say things like, the age of Aquarius is here. Um, we are all going to ascend or we already have, it is here now and it, or it's approaching. And people have been talking about this for decades. I'm not going to tell you that there's no age of Aquarius or that it hasn't arrived or that some calendar somewhere uh, prophesies that this would happen. I, I'm not going to get into arguing the specifics, but I will say that it gets passed around without people examining it. I know that much. And I know that it was kind of born, that kind of that kind of thinking was born of the new age with Helen Blavatsky. That was her shtick. But what are some of the problems with this? First of all, it's teleological. It assumes that there is a purpose to existence, to the universe, to human life, um, and that we know what it is. It has a sort of circular reasoning to it, perhaps. Well, we hear in, in these great texts that there's a new age, so there is a new age, like that kind of a thing. There's not enough proof there, perhaps, like not certainly not in any scientific way. Further, you can sort of see the bandwagon fallacy there and how so many people kind of just hop on and get excited about this idea and pass it around because everybody else believes it like them, everybody that they're talking to. So this would also involve the blind loyalty fallacy and heroes all. Like in the Western cultures, as I discussed in that one episode a while back, we like the idea of progress. We like the idea that we are on top of this technological futuristic wave and we are at the top of the mountain now. We couldn't get any better. Like, look at all of those people behind us who knew nothing <laughs> and weren't smart like us. And uh, we want to feel like heroes. Like, to get into a little bit of that post-colonial criticism, it, we want to feel like we are the white heroes and we can always rescue and we can always be right and we can be kings and queens, all of us. I don't like to take post-colonial uh, thinking too far. Like I think it can be overdone. People can get extreme about that too. But here I think it's valid. Uh, this one kind of relates to the next one I wanted to talk about, which is this expression that the veil is thinning. Some people might relate it, relate these two ideas, the idea of ascension or the age of Aquarius with that of the veil thinning. But some people will say, quite a lot these days will say that the veil has already thinned. They make references or they, uh, they explain COVID as being this process to bring about a thinning of the veil to like elevate. Um, and I think that this plays on emotion like a lot of these expressions that are sort of modern spiritualist uh, or spiritual, they appeal to emotion. They're, they're things that people want to believe. It's sort of exciting and magical feeling. And you have to wonder how much of our Western um, obsession with screen time, TVs, fantasy, you know, how much of that like just kind of fills up our heads so that we aren't thinking sharply anymore. So we get lost in our fantasies. It also feels a little bit like a slippery slope to me because people will often say things like, 
oh yeah, I'm having more of these experiences and my friends are too. And therefore we have these signs that the veil is thinning. It has the veil is thinning. And so then it's also sort of a circular reasoning too. Thirdly, I'm going to look at the expression, they'll get their karma. That sort of expression that this person has coming to them what they have put out. Now, there could very well be some truth to, to all of the things that I've mentioned so far, but I'm looking more at like how people think about them, what proof they have, whether they've turned personal suspicions into like an assumption or a solid belief. This whole idea is hugely problematic. First of all, a lot of people in the Western world do not understand what karma really is in the traditional sense, what it's, what it's supposed to really be about. Um, they have a very simplistic version of it conceptually you know karma is supposed to be about how each of us as a spirit comes here and has this sort of almost like a life story that they are living out in order to learn from and when they treat it as a burden then it becomes more like karma when they um fight against it and they hate it and they where they continue to push to to do things that will keep them in that karma. Like all of these things are negative. But when they recognize, hey, this is my role I'm playing here, and they kind of detach from it a little, and they start to look at the consequences of their behavior and their way of thinking, their attitude, then it's a way of like kind of transcending or letting go of it oftentimes, or at least learning from it. And so it's better to have this sort of enlightened attitude toward these situations we are trapped in in life than to take it out on people or just be negative, stunt our own selves. I think that's sort of the idea behind karma originally. But here, like say in the United States, you hear people throw that term around all the time and usually saying, well, they'll get their karma. I, I hope they get their karma. They, and it, they say it with sort of a nasty undertone. But in any case, looking at the fallacies involved there's an appeal to emotion there. It's, it's, it's like wishful thinking. This is what people, it makes them feel good. Like, oh, well, they'll get something in return for what they did. They'll suffer too. Um, and it is the actions from consequences fallacy, which I know it sounds a little funny. Um, some of the newer fallacy names, they don't sound like they fit into that whole system of fallacies. But in any case, it's the idea that there is a sort of always this relation of you will, something will happen like this if you do something like that. And we see in real life, in everyday life, that's not really how things work. And if there is karma, then what probably happens is that we take it with us into the next life rather than here. Like when people talk about karma here, they're often like, you know, that person hit that person so then they're going to get hit in the head by something like in a few days or <laughs> a few months like they're thinking more short term and it's sort of a petty spiteful feeling to it you could even say that there is a an othering or a dehumanization which are also fallacies um, involved so you can see like we, we the, the the short list of logical fallacies that we often think of is not at all comprehensive enough it makes you think that oh there are just these few styles of argument that are faulty and that are common but the fallacies are more about how we think faultily in general 
doesn't even have to be when we're involved in formal debates. But yes, there is a dehumanization involved even in pointing to someone who's done something you think is bad or criminal when you dismiss them as a total human being. And that's actually far from spiritual. Moving on here, we have the expression, everything is light or everything is love. And you know, maybe it is. I'm not the one to tell you that it's not. I have my personal suspicions, but that doesn't mean that I'm going to say that I know this or I'm going to tell someone else what to think or that I expect anyone else to think the way I do. It is possible that everything ultimately is made of some kind of loving monad or energy for I don't know what to call it. We get into these like really nebulous terms and ways of speaking when we're trying to describe what we feel we've learned spiritually and it can be really problematic in how it can kind of disseminate disinfo uh, but it can also be important for us to try to articulate maybe even for ourselves or to others if we do it in careful ways but just looking at these expressions from a strictly logical perspective Everything is love or energy or light. It's actually a kind of reductionism. To understand this, let's look at like a classic example of reductionism. The mind is just the physical brain. It's just the chemistry of the brain and neurons firing, etc. Or synapses firing. That is reductionism because it's saying these aren't really thoughts. This doesn't really exist. You have no mind. You have no consciousness. It's just that imaginary homunculi in the brain. And it's all just material. It's all just solid matter. Whatever that really means, as we know, as I've covered, that doesn't have any bearing anymore since the physics of the early last century. It just doesn't really mean anything as much as people want to pretend it does. And that actually... <laughs> That reminds me, I do want to make an episode eventually about the logical fallacies involved in criticizing or dismissing spirituality, because there are also those to consider. In any case, so everything is light, everything is love, everything's energy. Um, there's the burden of proof fallacy, where I think I'm remembering that right. Then the idea is that you assume that there's enough proof for something based on a little bit of evidence when there is not enough for it. So there is energy throughout the universe. Yes. But is there energy to spirit? Is everything that we can conceive of energy? And that's where there's a sort of leap in logic that a lot of people make, which I'll be honest, I'll say things like that sometimes lazily, whereas like short speak for it's all kind of mystical to me, and I don't know, but I know that there's something else. Another one I will say lazily is that everything is vibrations, or I am raising my vibration, or I'm feeling like my vibrations are kind of low right now. I will speak to other spiritual people that way uh, because they know what I mean. I don't really know that everything is literally vibration, but I know... And this is stolen from like the wave or particle physics. Um, but I know that I can feel when my emotional energy is like going up or going down when I'm and when I can feel it rising um, and I get in touch with. <laughs> See, it's hard to speak about any of this because we don't know enough about it. But 
there are spiritual practices I can do or there are ways I can set my intention or ways I can kind of try to control my moods or my physical energy to achieve better results. And I know that much is true. And I think that's what we're really trying to say. Then there are the mentions of angels, like your angels are watching over you. What do your angels say about that? <laughs> um, where it's um, assumed that we all have angels, we all have like personal angels and you know, maybe we do once again. I, I mean, I can have my own suspicions at times. I'm kind of on the fence about that one. I, I think there might be angels very well that guard over, you know, all created beings, but there might not. And I don't go so far as to assume that each of us is going to have our own personal angel. Though sometimes that seems very compelling. The uh, fallacies involved, some of them, could be anecdotal. So, I had this experience, it involved an angel, and therefore all people, you know, like my personal anecdote and their personal anecdote, we put them together and then we've got this. You see that a lot in spirituality, people thinking that way. Also, there's an appeal to heaven there. Um, so usually people who believe in angels believe there's some sort of heavenly or summerland kind of realm. And so they're appealing to that even in mentioning the angels. On a related note, there are those who believe that they come from, like that they incarnated from being a, an alien creature of some sort or alien being sometimes in another dimension perhaps maybe not in in like the so-called material realm they'll call themselves star seeds lemurians arcturans um and you see people talking about this more and more as though they've just decided that this is the case i think it's sort of a romantic rebel fallacy there going on people want to feel different they want to feel special it's also like an appeal to novelty then and it also can involve alphabet soup it's like a fallacy where people talk like shop talk they use the same lingo and this is huge in these mo modern spiritual communities to be um very into throwing around kind of jargony stuff i think it's totally wacko but they're like you're kind of accepted into the group if you talk that way. And so they throw out, hey, I might be from a Lemurian to gain some kind of credit. I might be from like that race. But don't you dare question these things because then you will step on the toes of the everything is true bias, <laughs> which involves the paralysis of analysis, a logical fallacy. Uh, which really had its birth in the postmodernist movement, which the, the postmodernist movement really is like the pinnacle of the white hero um, need for domination and progress, needing to feel like they're on top of that wave. It's so exciting. Here I am. I'm the, I'm the king or the queen of this wave of understanding. And so with that, they shot down like rationalism, the Enlightenment era, so many things fell so quickly and it kind of dominates in the intellectual communities now. It dominates in the universities where there, there's some questioning of it, but for the most part, it's not even safe to question postmodernism at the university level, I found. And when you get into where you can't question something, that's actually dangerous. So there's, there are a lot of ironies to postmodernism in that it's supposed to really kind of like 
it's supposed to itself question everything, but then it gets into extreme statements like nothing is true. Or conversely, everything is true. Everyone has their so-called truth. And this relates to the trust your intuition fallacy, which you hear people say this all the time. Um, I hear it in podcasts. I hear it on the street. It's become so absorbed into culture that you can find Christians saying it. And I'm sure there's some kind of folk wisdom that it's rooted in way, way back to where people would just say, oh, you know, there... <laughs> Knowledge isn't everything, and there's some, there is something to this. Like, if you're a woman and you're walking in an alley and you get a bad feeling, um, probably nine out of ten times it might be right. But it's overused. Um, and not all of our feelings that we consider to be gut feelings can they be trusted. So some people think that their common sense notions are their gut feelings. Some people think that when they're feeling... Um, they're actually feeling paranoid, but they'll think that this is their intuition. I often have to try to sort out if something is me having a moment of paranoia stemming from my PTSD or complex PTSD, or if it's um, my actual intuition, because I am, I found myself to be, I know this from like decades of my own personal experience, it's probably hard to prove to someone else, but I know that I'm highly intuitive, but I also know I can be paranoid at times. I'm not like 100% paranoid all the time. I'm not like, paranoid schizophrenic but you know I've got that vein in me and and so I can't always completely sort it out like me having to ask myself in the shower is that my spirit guide or is that me and I think the vast majority of people are like this like you you can tell sometimes when your intuition comes through strongly and you're right and sometimes sometimes you have your proof like there are those moments of absolute knowing that it can't explain why that happened sure there's a lot of gray area though in human experience so i think it can be a dangerous expression to throw around it depends on the context perhaps like i would tell any woman if you're considering going out with a guy <laughs> trust your intuition in that case i would say like just pay attention if there's a bad gut feeling and then there is this notion that's like the opposite of the bad action will get the bad karma in response and it's that good is always rewarded the christian version of this is god watches over his own or if you do good if you follow the ten commandments then blah blah blah. um sorry i think of a lot of christianity as blah 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 because of the way i was raised is just like so much orthodoxy shoved down my throat for so long like a couple decades of my life that i reached a point where i was just like i can't swallow this anymore <laughs> It's just like the sci-fi of a very, very uh, kind of um, archaic time that came after more interesting pagan times. Um, so this idea of good is always rewarded. It is a, it's, it can be an a priori argument where you start with an assumption of like a basic metaphysical foundational uh, assumption of there is good there is god there is you know this kind of a thing and then it also could involve an appeal to emotions because we want to believe that it feels good if we're good it gets rewarded oh this brings to mind what i had wanted to say this earlier but it also applies to this there's this idea that we attract we manifest 
if I am in positivity, I will manifest this. And I'm not saying that there's no truth to that ever. I think there are some obvious cases of that. Of Like you go in for an interview, you keep a good attitude and you're confident and it helps you get the job. But obviously it's not the only factor usually. And it doesn't play out that way all the time in life. And I always think of really stark examples as a former philosophy major. I think of those really extreme, sometimes scary examples like... And the reason they would use those in philosophy for arguments, like the reason philosophers use them in texts and whatnot, is because the extreme example will really be undeniable and will highlight something in a way that if something, if a situation seems more vague as an example, people won't really quite follow sometimes. So if you think of like, what if a baby was drowning and someone else wasn't who you rescued, those kinds of scenarios, like they can be creepy, but they kind of work. They kind of cut through nonsense. So I always think of like a serial killer preying on young woman, full of light, thinking the best of the world, naively going with them and trusting, like a Ted Bundy type. And are we going to say that those victims all just weren't good or didn't have high enough vibrations or didn't think positively? I don't think that really explains that successfully. It also involves this idea of good always being rewarded. It involves magical thinking and an argument from consequences but i am tiring of the logical fallacies even for me there can be too much and after a while it feels like listing something off and i am not an expert on it so i'm going to leave it there and close with a few thoughts new age sometimes does involve cultural appropriation I do think cultural appropriation is an overused term, though, and there's even sort of a fallacy of cultural appropriation, as I found out tonight in looking through the list. It's interesting. I think that that's very deserved. So as a philosophy major, I study this stuff and examined it really closely. I went from philosophy to anthropology, and then I went back to liberal arts later. But bringing my philosophy background into studying anthropology, I did kind of dissect all the arguments that were being made. And and I saw a lot of this emotional thinking, subjective reactions to things, um, what I felt was kind of a controlling ethics. Like, if you don't think this way in studying cultures, then you're a bad unethical anthropologist I didn't feel like that really should be there maybe in some moderate limited instances I get that the original anthropologists were British people who would go into like the heart of Africa and then bring all of their baggage with them and say these people just don't know anything and they're just heathens like they would sometimes there would be that element there like of looking down of condescending But yeah, a lot of the post-colonial criticism just goes too far. And I think if you don't have an ability to be open to people from other cultures, to be delighted by their ways of life and the things that they have to offer you, to absorb into your own systems so that they don't become static, then you're just kind of really stunting life, really making things one-dimensional I don't think that anyone from any culture would want to wall themselves off unless they were like nationalists but to get back to what I was saying I do think that there is a little bit of this in the new age movement and it's reflected in some of the things that they say like what would someone say from in Africa or India where a lot of the people have short 
mean lives where they don't have hope, like babies born into starvation or cholera and they die. They don't even get to live into childhood. Do you want to tell them that they just feel good and everything's going to be fine? Uh, sorry if this is kind of getting stark, but it's problematic how there's a sort of Christian imprint and this um, white supremacy that kind of united somewhere like back in the day of kings and queens and then trickled down slowly to the masses till everyone felt like they had their own castle in their suburban homes and they deserved the same kind of treatment. Everybody envied that, you know, and, and it became subsumed. And and so now we have all these white princess new agers and witches and, and this and that. And I'm not just gonna, I'm not gonna end it with just, it doesn't just stop with white people. Like it's, it's kind of everywhere now, but it's especially part of that, of that whiteness. All this said, there, there is a place for deep thinkers in considering spirituality. There's a rich history of mysticism. And even if it doesn't fit into a system of common beliefs and assumptions, there are fascinating questions to ask. So I think that's it. And I wish you all a good Samhain, if I'm pronouncing that right, or um, All Hallows Eve out there. Okay. <laughs>